Welcome back to the Office Marketing Podcast with Mike Swigert. The podcast all about sales tips, mindset, and value bombs. Five questions to help make your day more productive and learn a thing or two. Here is your host, best-selling author, Mike Swigert. Everyone, thank you for listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. I have got a, a very, very, very special guest today. His name's Larry Dillon. Larry started Wendover uh, the same year I finished high school, 1988, long time ago. And uh, what Wendover does is it actually supplies some of the best leads and data possible in the commercial office space. Larry has been a part of billions and billions and of dollars of, uh, of projects, leads, sales. I mean, Larry is just a, a, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant salesperson, business leader, just a beautiful mind. I really enjoy talking to him. He brings so much to the table to any type of business. And he's just constantly trying to figure out, you know, new ways to build a mousetrap. And that's why I have him on the podcast today. And we're actually going to do a, a multi-part series. The first series today is going to be on prospecting. And uh, without further ado, Larry Dillon, thanks for, thanks for jumping on the Office Marketing Podcast. Mike, thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm I'm really humbled that you would take time to do this and share all of this. When you and I were talking last week, we kind of came up with this idea and I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant. We'll break it down. We'll break down the different parts of the sales process. We'll kind of ham and egg it a little bit. We'll talk about certain things. I sent you some questions. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through seven key questions today on prospecting. But before we get into it, can you give everybody a little nickel tour on Larry how you ended up starting Wendover and really maybe from your own words, what the company does. Sure. So um, I, uh, I started in, in the moving business. I went to the Wharton school and um, studied business there and then opened up, you know, the standard stuff went out and opened a moving company and um, just applied what I learned there in terms of, um, you know, one of the, I think one of the, you know, I, I could probably summarize what I learned at the Wharton School into five things uh, that I really took away from that. And one of the things was uh, in managerial uh, accounting was you continue to spend money on sales and marketing until the last dollar that you spent generated a dollar in gross profit. So this, this idea that if you... Um, cut back on sales and marketing, you're going to cut back on growth. It's a pretty simple model. And you, you'll see companies like that was one of the keys to sale. I think we were talking about Salesforce. They were spending 50% on sales and marketing as a public company, which is outrageous. You can go to the K-10s and check it out from when they started at about 50 million to 220 million. Um, and so it was just really focused on, on growing the business and I was wanted to do more commercial business, and I actually I don't know if you know this I took out tell I produced a television ad. Uh, I was on um, the Good Morning America, um, did the Yellow Pages, and I tracked the results um, from the marketing tools that I used. And the funny thing is, in the old days, the Yellow Page people would come in, and they would say, "How was your business doing?" And you'd be like, "Great, we doubled this year." And they're like, great, are you ready for a bigger ad? And like, wait a minute. <clears throat> and then I sat down with a computer 
And this look of horror on the yellow page advertise uh, salesperson's face when I was like, oh, well, we generated $523,000 and, you know, 57 cents from the yellow page ad and we spent 60,000 bucks. My threshold is 10 to one. So we're going to trim it back to 50,000. And they were just horrified because no one would track their results. So I could figure out where the arc was like, you spend money on stuff and then <clears throat> you get more and more sales, you get a good return on investment. And that first dollar that you might spend, you might get $20. And then as you spend more and more, it hits a, a point of diminishing returns. And I could tell you exactly where that was for each of the tools that we used. So, and that's why I experimented with television and that didn't really get a good return. And finally, I just said, especially with commercial, cause they're bigger jobs. I said, I just need a list of companies that are moving. And then that led me to Dodge reports, you know, the building permit information, but that really wasn't tailored towards this. Um, and then the key thing was I, I looked at, we were in Baltimore, Philadelphia um, and DC. And um, I did the research to figure out like, all right, how many businesses are in Baltimore? There were 60,000 businesses. And then I said, well, let's I'm only interested in companies with more than five with more than 10 employees in office environments and when you go through the math out of the 60,000 businesses in Baltimore there are only 6,000 that meet that criteria and I'm like oh wow my marketing problem went from you know a problem of 60,000 businesses down to 6,000 well that's a huge difference because if you wanted to do direct mail to 60,000 you know or try to reach out to them that's a very different problem and I'm like Oh, there's only 6,000. I'm just going to call them all. And that's what I did. And the return on investment from that was like crazy. It was crazy. It took, it took a year to figure out the best way to do it um, and how to get the, the process in place. And the first thing I automated in the business was sales, which is back in the eighties. Um, and I couldn't understand why people were automating accounting first to save pennies. It doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you automate sales first to generate dollars? This is back in 1983, 84. So we automated sales and I had this amazing database of people who were planning to move that no one had. And we crushed it, absolutely crushed it. Um, and that was just put, putting a process process in place, spending the money. It cost a lot of money to do it, but we just, we knew so much stuff about what was going on in the marketplace. Um, and then from there we, we learned, but then that made my businesses really profitable. Um, and the funny thing, the thing that got me into the data business was there was a friend of mine who sold phone systems for this company called Thai. Um, they were in 60 markets throughout the United States. There were 300 sales reps <clears throat> and he would stop by the office and I'm like, check this out. Cause no one had seen like a sales database in 1984. There was no such thing. And, uh, he said, Oh my God. He goes, well, you won't know this one. He goes, check out, you know, ABC company. And I'm like, ABC company moving July 17th. Marcy Smith is the, is the man is the project manager. All right, all right, this one you won't know. And he would go through, and most of them I already knew about. So I gave him access to the leads just because he was my buddy. 
he came back a year later. He goes, I want to take you out to dinner. So we go out to dinner and he says, um, Hey, I just want to let you know, I was the number one sales rep out of 300 reps at Thai phone systems. And I'm like, that's pretty good. I didn't realize you were a braggart, but uh, good for you. He goes, no, you don't understand. It was because of your leads. He said, and all the big wigs, you know, because of the CEO of the company always, you know, it's the number one guy in the country. You're going to sit down with him and say, how did you do it? He goes, there's this short balding guy in Baltimore that's got this database of companies that are moving. And then um, that's what got me into the, the lead business. AT&T found out. And they're like, we'll buy everything that you produce. And so in 1988, I sold the moving businesses and um, started Wendover full time. So it was just totally random that never would have planned it out. And then in Wendover just took off because we would call companies and they're like, you have what? And um, I mean, we just expanded within three or four years, we were all over the US and Canada and England, Scotland, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand. It was crazy. It was a crazy ride. I love, um, it. I love it. Well, Larry, I love it when I ask somebody for a nickel tour and they give me the half dollar tour, which is what <laughs> but it, is, it is a crazy story. No, right? no, no, no. You You're awesome, Larry. School, I really do. Start I a love moving it. business. If anybody's watching this on uh, on YouTube, they can absolutely see. I've got a big smile on my face. Larry is a Larry's just one of those salespeople that you want in your life because he's always going to be just just creative. It's it's he's just momentum, you know. And I love it, Larry. So hey, let's get into this. And I, every single one of these, I'll let you tell another uh, early anecdote. But let's talk sure. specifically about prospecting today. Um, yep. Again, it's going to be seven questions. I'm going to hit them with you. I'm going to hit you with each one of these questions. And I really feel like I did the work to find out what do I feel like are really the seven most important things people should keep in the front of their mind when it comes to prospecting. And again, you're just an absolute rock star, whether it be data or just, just the way you think education and experience is just awesome. So let, are you ready to get into this? Sure. You ready to go? Okay, good. All right. Well, we're, first one is something I, that, that's near and dear to my heart, mindset. I think that everything should start in mindset. So, so why don't we walk through, you have such a great positive mindset, mindset Larry, um, amazing energy. But what do you think if someone was getting into prospecting, or if they're going to be prospecting that day or prospect planning or prospecting, you know, what does their mindset really need to be to be successful at prospecting? I've, I've never heard anyone talk about that. Um, like this question about the mindset, I think it's a brilliant question. And I think that, uh, it's really important for the salespeople, the sales management, uh, and the management to understand the importance of prospecting. Um, because the tendency for sales reps and companies as they grow is they cut back on the prospecting as they get more repeat business and more big customers. And the companies that kind of take the foot off the gas pedal when it comes to prospecting, because I think we should be talking about three, you know, three different mindsets from the, the C-suite, what's the mindset towards prospecting, sales management, what's the mindset towards prospecting and salespeople. And I think that what I've observed now, li listen, 
I've been really lucky in that, that I talk to CEOs, owners, sales managers, and salespeople every day. And I can stack rank them. I've talked to thousands just because of what we do. Um, and the interesting thing to me is you can see the mindset of like the rock stars, right? I call them three. There are three different types of business people, managers, and sales reps. You have the rock stars. Um, you have the, uh, the victims. And then you have everybody else in the middle. Now, the victims are probably five to seven percent. The rock stars are probably maybe three percent. All right. Well, tell and us the rock funny. star. Larry, tell us the rock star mindset. That's what I want to know. Rock star What's the rock mindset, star mindset? He has the same mindset as like a little league kid. Like they listen to the coach. They like coaching. Right. Because if you ask the, the, the rocks, the kid, the best kid on the little league team, you ask him, Jimmy, do you listen to the you know, does Jimmy listen to the coach? Yeah, he does. Where the victim, you know, they're always blaming someone else. But the mindset is that I have to continuously get more prospects in order to grow my base of business. And I can't, um, I can't fall back on that. And if you look at whatever a salesperson does over the course of a year, let's say a salesperson goes out on a hundred new appointments a year, right? And they close 30% of them. So they get 30 deals. And let's say the average deal is 30 grand. So that salesperson generates an extra 900,000 bucks in new business each year. And, and the best sales reps and the best managers <clears throat> are look at are always looking at their stats like they know where they are and if you take a salesperson and say listen or sales manager or owner and say look you went out on 100 appointments and and you did uh 900 000. what if i told you if you went on 150 appointments a year you're going to increase your sales by 150 percent and that's that's what it boils down to so once I understand that I did two appointments a week, right, by prospecting, generated two uh, um, appointments a week, if I can get that to three appointments a week, I'm going to increase my sales by 50%. If I increase it from two to four, which is doable through more prospecting, that gets me to, uh, to double my sales. Else. And it works like the people with that mindset understand more prospecting, more appointments, more sales and focus on that. Yeah, I would I want to double my commission this year. I want to double the size of my business this year. So because it is a grind, like prospecting is a grind, um, but it, it's a grind if you don't realize what the what the result is at the end. Larry, Larry, it's totally spoken like an amazing stats guy. Like you're such a data stats guy. I asked this question about mindset and you're like, hey, you know, you structure. Hey, you go from 1X to 2X and you get 2X. I love that. I absolutely love that response. When I was looking at this question, I was thinking I'm a little more flowy, right? I'm a little more, um, I, I see I see art, art and sales, you know, a yep. little more watercolory, right? So yep. when I saw this question, I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, what's the best mindset for prospecting? 
And I always felt like as a sales guy, for me, I like exactly where you went with that. But I also thought like when I was most successful as a salesperson, I always walked into every transaction or every outreach. Like I had a great solution to someone's problem. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of went that way. Whereas like you're kind of going in the data, you know, more analytical way to go. I was thinking, boy, if my mindset in prospecting is I can't wait to talk to this person on the other line of this phone because I can't wait to talk to them about the solution that that might solve a problem for them. And I kind of always felt that way. Yeah. And I think I mean, you're right. There's it is it is a multifaceted um, um it's a very difficult thing to do. And I think that you're right. You should have, I mean, part of it is what's my motivation. My motivation is I want to double my sales. Okay. Then um, I was talking to, I was playing golf yesterday with a really good golfer and we were talking sports psychology, right? Especially with golf, right? They, it's the four inches right here that, that uh, make the difference. And I think that's super important because you can't just, say, Oh, I want to double it. You do, you do have to have like that mindset of like, I'm going to help people because the more empathetic you are, the more you recognize that you're going to provide a solution to their problem. People are going to pick up on that. Yeah. I love and it. people right, are going to resonate with we, that. We have six more questions and we have three minutes. No, I'm kidding. We have six questions. Let's, let's get through these. So um, okay. This is really important. I'm actually getting ready. I'm ready to do a national sales conference for a really large company and help them with it. And it's a big part of, of what I'm going to talk talking about, but how should people schedule time for prospecting? I mean, what do you think is the best? If you were going in to coach a sales team mm -hmm. and you were talking just to the sales guys, right? Um, how would you recommend they block out their time for prospecting? Sure. So, and I've, I've told you about a buddy of mine who grew a staffing business from zero to 175 million in sales in one market. Um, and I asked him, what's the key to your success? He's from Boston. And he's like, he says, Larry, he says, I've got 40 sales reps. He says every day from two to four, they're out knocking on dies. I'm like knocking on dies. What's a door knocking on doors. Yeah. And um, he literally has them go out and physically knock on doors and prospect for two hours a day, every single day. Um, they've, they've got to do it. Listen, the high performers realize that they're like some of the most successful salespeople and business owners, some of those successful salespeople that I know that continue to be successful throughout their career, not the ones that are successful in the beginning. They said, they, they told me, they're like, I basically get paid to prospect. And I think that, that you need to do something every single day to unearth uh, new, um, new prospects. So I, th I think a daily hour, two hours a day um, to prospect. I'm with I you got a million stories about that. No, I got I like a Lee Ayakoka story about prospecting that I'll tell you some other time. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that for the next show. But I, I agree 100%. I always feel like if someone, if every single salesperson that wouldn't be, be successful scheduled two hours to do 90 minutes of prospecting every day, you know, because based on where your energy is or where you are, how much sleep you got the night before or, or your caffeine or, or whatever it is, right? Wherever you are in life, if you just said, you know what, from nine to 11, 
and you and you realistically had 90 minutes, then you don't have the anxiety of going, holy crap, I've got these two hours. I get, you know, like if there is an interruption or if there's a, you know, if there's something, I feel like if someone set aside two hours to do 90 minutes of legit work every single day when it comes to prospecting, I think they would look up and they'd go, yeah, that worked. That was a, that was a great, the byproduct's only going to be good. And I, I just had like a, an epiphany. It's prospecting is like the fuel that you put in your tank, right? So if you're out working a, a backhoe or driving your car, what you've got to, you've, ex, you've, you've used up some of the fuel every day. You need to put some fuel back in the car because eventually it goes empty. And then we know what happens when it goes empty. Yeah. Right. Your pipeline yeah. disappears and your sales tank because sales reps go through the sign curve and the sign curves simply because it's all the, the reps that don't constantly prospect. Yeah. I was at a, I was at a great uh, mastermind last year and it was just a small group of us got together. And one of the speakers said, they were basically like, yeah, the, your, your revenue is equal to, and he did a factor kind of like what you like, but his factor was your revenue is equal to goodwill times offers. And he was just kind of saying like, Hey, if I'm constantly providing goodwill, whether it be, you know, bringing my clients, you know, education or, or to lunch or connecting people times offers. Like he was just kind of like, you know, his whole model was goodwill and offers, which is prospecting, right? I mean, that's, it's just his model, but, and, and some people are more comfortable with that as their model of prospecting. Hey, if you want to spend 90 minutes going, Hey, how do I reach out to as many people as possible and share, you know, white papers and how do I share, you know what I'm saying? Like going down that route. And the key part is um, you got to throw that offer in there. Hey, if you'd like to learn more about this, Hey, if it's something you want to go deeper dive, you know, those, you got to throw the little tasteful offer in there. To make it happen. This episode of the Office Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Fusion Advisory. We help commercial contractors generate leads online profitably. Check us out at fusion-advisory.com. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the next one. This one is kind of an interesting question, and I hope uh, anyone listening, this is for all the people that bite off more they can, than they can chew, right? How many prospects should a salesperson target at a time? Now, I'm going to answer this one first, Larry, but uh, because I'm thinking about, I have got clients that sell uh, nutrition. I've got clients, uh, I have dear friends that I consult with that sell um, $6 million airplanes. So someone who's selling $6 million airplanes, their year is made when they sell three, right? And they, they, they can process, you know, they can, they can move on. They might be able to buy the other person's one and flip that. So it might, you know, selling three new planes probably turns into six sales, right? And so on and so forth. But in general, they don't need to prospect that many people, right? But some, somebody that's selling, uh, you know, human nutrition stuff, they're probably targeting a million. So I feel like, and that's where you being like a, a data guy um, can be really helpful here. It's like, I feel like some people need to look and get a little introspective at times when it comes to how many prospects should a salesperson target at a time because they need to understand their funnel. And, and I believe that this answer is based on, you know, the sales cycle, the how enterprising or, you know, the size of the product that you're selling, the capacity of your production, you know, like the airplanes. I mean, that company can only make so many planes a year. And so, you know, what do you think about that? How many prospects should a salesperson target at a time? Yeah, so you can um, you can actually calculate out what the optimum number of prospects 
uh, that you should be targeting. Um, it's based on, <clears throat> so we go through, let's take the commercial moving business, right? Once I commit, once I say, uh, I'm going to go on an appointment to give you an estimate to do your, to move your office, right? So I got to get in my car. I got to drive out. I got to do the initial survey. I might have to go back for a second survey. Each of those, so that might be two hours plus two hours. Then maybe I have to go back to present. So that's six hours. So I've just committed to six hours of work plus paperwork. Let's call it eight hours once I've done that, right? If I, if I schedule... So and let's just say all in on average, it takes eight hours to, to fully execute, to do the follow-up, right? Because if you, um, if you have too many prospects, then what suffers? Prospecting, right? Or, or follow-up. So you might not close as many deals. So there's a certain number, especially if you look at moving services, there's a certain number. So let's say that's one per day is where that, that person maxes out. So in that situation, you might say, well, I've got to set four, you know, four appointments uh, a week. And then how many, how much prospecting does it take? How many prospects do I need to have in order to get four appointments a week or whatever, whatever that, that model is. Um, so it all depends on exactly what you were mm -hmm. talking about, the sales cycle. But if you look at it, like, once you say yes and you go out on an appointment, how much time is that salesperson committing in the future? So for things where it's like, well, they're only committing 30, 30 minutes is what it takes, which because you have to figure out, you know, because follow-up will will um, will suffer, customer service will suffer if they've got too much. Um, and if they have too little, well, then they're not optimizing. Mm. And most most sales reps are not not optimizing. Um, Hey, Larry, I'll so, tell you, that's, that's probably where I failed the most as a salesperson is because my passion was in prospecting and outreach, right? So prospecting outreach and follow-up, I was really good. But once the project was sold, mm -hmm. um, I, I joke, I, I really do. And I've said this a million times, right? If you were Cro-Magnon, you wanted a Mike Swigert in your tribe, right? Because I'll guarantee you, you're going to be the fattest tribe in the world because I'm going to go out. I'm going to find the woolly mammoths. I'm going right. to slay them and I'm going to kill them. But if it was up to me, there would be a stack of woolly mammoths rotting in the field because I don't really care what happens to them after they're uh, right. caught, right? Right. Um, and that's what I did as a sales guy. And, you know, go out, get them, slay them, you know, bring them in. And, um, and once I got older and older and older, you know, that was in the 30s. And then the forties, I started to realize, oh, what happens if, what happens if, you know, what happens if we nurtured that, you know, what happens if we right. took care of them? And, and well, as there, I got older and older, I got a lot better at it. There was a, a, a computer company, local computer store. And uh, this woman, you know, people would come in and buy one PC at a time. And this woman was like, I'm not standing out on the floor. She started cold calling Martin Marietta, Vanguard. And no one was doing that because there was, you know, the computers were new. So she would get through to the, the, the managers and she would have these massive deals, knew nothing about computers, could care less about computers. They hired someone to basically be, be her customer success mm -hmm. rep. 
And I would buy all my computers from her because I was buying 10 computers at a time. I wasn't talking to the, the kids on the floor. I went to the back to talk to Nancy. And um, she was crushing it. She was literally making 10 times more than the other guys. I love it. I love it. But, but, but the company was smart enough to recognize that she could bring down the woolly mammoth. And so, but not so good in customer service, knew nothing about technology. I would ask her a technical question. She's like, ask Jim. I don't know. Oh, Larry. All Larry, she could what? do is yeah. close. You, you and I had this conversation last week. It's why I surround myself with implementers and organizers yeah. and everything. If, All if right, you're let's a get sales on. manager and you have somebody like that, yeah. get them. We do it the same for, for um, you know, if you've got somebody who's, who's slaying it and they need support, get them that support so they yeah. can spend more time bringing down the woolly mammoths. I love it. Um, I love it. All right, let's get on the next question. Okay, yep. so this one, this one's very timely. I feel like people um, can make a mistake here. Um, so the question is, what's the importance of social media in the prospecting process, right? The importance of social media. And I get it. I mean, my company does a lot of social media for companies. We, we have a lot of companies that we manage social media for. And my job is to kind of coach people a lot. But let me ask you first, what do you think it is? What's the, how does social media really play in? How can we use it as a tool to help people in prospecting? Right. So there, there are two ends to that. Like people are, are definitely, we've all seen, well, maybe not everybody's seen the research, but there's a ton of research that people are using social media to like check out your company, um, to learn more about your company. They're also using social media to kind of put their buying process in place. Like, how do I buy stuff? So it's really important that your social media is up to snuff. Um, and you, you want to make sure that, that you've got that, the information that could be helpful for them. Non-selling information, I think, is really important, like checklists, timelines, like what are the five mistakes people make when they hire a social media firm or they hire, uh, you know, a, a sales uh, company. Um, and also, um, you know, there's everybody's got 5% of the people that like hate them. So there's also negative stuff on social media. You got to be aware of that because that can really, <clears throat> really impact your sales in a negative way. And social media, it's such... I think it's such an easy thing to take advantage of. And um, I think it's something that you constantly need to, to update. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like, well, I know that you know, statistically speaking, people are going to LinkedIn, the LinkedIn time. I think it's 10 X of what it was two years ago. The amount of time that salespeople, I'm pretty close. It's either it's, it, it was been growing very quickly, especially because of the shutdowns last year. So when you think about how much time people are actually going on and checking out LinkedIn every day, they're really kind of feeling you out and people are going to salespeople's LinkedIn pages more than they're going to the company websites because it's more personal because people have been sort of retrained. Hey, I'm going to your Facebook page. I'm going to your Instagram page. I'm going to your Twitter page. They really want to go to that person's landing page. So if you're listening to this guys, make sure you're looking at your key salespeople and check out their LinkedIn page. And does it represent their brand and represent the company brand in a way that leads somebody or is part of the sales funnel? Is it going to ever close business? No. 
is it is it part of getting somebody from no like and trust right so now we're we don't really know who they are we're getting in the know we're starting to like them wow we're members of the same group we went to the same college or we we're both sec guys or whatever it is now we're kind of you earn the right somebody has to know you to earn the right to like them to earn the right to trust them so I, I i try to tell people look social media is kind of the top end of your funnel but if it's not there odds are a client is not going to make it to the next step yeah it's pretty important all right so let's get on to the next one this one you and i love this one uh because we're older and um i just turned 50 in january so um and my very first job in my entire life was knocking on doors and um selling things door to door and so the question is, how can salespeople use the telephone as a prospecting tool? In 2021, we're going to timestamp this. It's, it's the second half of 2021. How can sales, this is, guys, this is not 1986. This is how can salespeople use the telephone as a prospecting tool? Larry Dillon, go. Sure. I think that, um, especially now, like with the telephone, I think you want to be respectful of, the person's time that you're prospecting to. Um, and I think it's really important not to take the bull in the China shop approach, right? Just calling someone up, like, you know, we sell office moving leads. And, you know, some of my customers will call up and say, you know, I know that you're moving your office, you know, like it's spooky, like, you know, go easy. But I think that um, this bull in a China shop like get on the phone. I'm the best. This is what we do. This is what my company does. Um, the way that I like to approach it and also being, you know, you put your, your business owner or manager's hat on the way I like to tell my customers to approach this is send an email paired with a voicemail. Like let's get that voicemail out. Cause now you can figure out if somebody's opened the email. And the email should be something like, um, let's say you're selling telephone systems. Um, it might be, you know, the subject line might be looking for a new phone system, 10 mistakes people make when they buy a phone system. Non-salesy, good information. What are those, what, you know, and the, and the email would be something like, hey, uh, Bob, this is Larry from XYZ Telecom. Here's the 10 mistakes people make when they buy a phone system. Uh, if you're in the market, I'll follow up with you, you know, in a, in a week or two. The voice, the, the phone, instead of trying to actually talk to someone, there are very few people that can make that transition because prospecting on the phone is about building rapport in a relationship first. It's building that rapport. Like you said, what are the connections? What do you guys have in common? Um, and most of the time, especially now you're going to get a voicemail because people are working from home. So how do we use that to our advantage? What if you just sent the email and immediately left a voicemail message? Like, Hey, Bob, this is Larry from ABC telecom. Don't know if you're in the market for phone system. I just sent you an email, 10 mistakes people make when they buy a phone system. If you're not in the market for a phone system, please don't waste your time. Delete my email. If you Mar are marketing, marketing gold. Literally, if, if, if you've made it to this point of the podcast and literally um, and, and are this fascinated with prospecting, getting to this point and going, what, is that what does that bang bang look like? Please listen to what Larry just said. 
sending value in an email, sending legit value, complementing it with a voicemail and then qualifying, a qualifying way to do it. And then you're, you're kind of putting it together and going, okay, look, I want to bring you value and I'm trying to qualify it and, and complement it with a telephone call. Larry, I don't know if there's a better way to do it in 21 than what you just said. Really do. I really don't think it's absolutely brilliant. If I, you know, and as a business owner, there are times where, you know, I'm interested in, we have a a CRM that we have, and I'm interested in reporting software. Am I interested right now? No. Do I have a big budget for it? Yes. Um, But if you sent me an email and and left me a nice voicemail message saying, hey, look, I don't know if you're interested in in reporting software. I just sent you a report on, you know, five things you should consider when you're buying reporting, you know, reporting software. I'm going to be like, yeah, that's cool. You're respectful of my time. Oh, wait, I overlooked that one. Maybe I'm going to open it up. And the second they open it up, what they've done is because you've you've created this gate. Don't go through this gate unless you're interested in buying what I have to sell. So <clears throat> qualifying, is- qualifying, by the way, that's one of the keys to prospecting. We didn't even talk about today, but like the earlier you can qualify or, oh. it, you know, that's, that's absolutely real. Let's get into the very last question. And it, and it's sort of a teaser question. Um, and, but I, I'm somebody who sold enterprise uh, fortune 100 products. So this was a big uh, rub I always had with the, with the manufacturers, right? What is more important? your benefits and features or the outcome for the prospect. And I'm actually going to go first because as someone, and all you have to do is look at my LinkedIn, you can figure out what I sold. I sold, I sold very large enterprise uh, uh, lines and that have been around for centuries. So um, guys, the manufacturers want to tell you all about their benefits and features and jam benefits and features down the uh, clients or prospects uh, process into their process. Right. Uh, and, and as a great salesperson, right, you must be thinking about the outcome for the prospect. And Larry, I, I talked one time, I was selling a large uh, furniture uh, project to a, a fast growing company here in Atlanta. They had about maybe three or 400 employees at the time, but they were really, they were really growing. And I went into it and I just kind of said, like, look, furniture's furniture. It's all the same, you know? I just want to help you build a great culture for you to really bring in the best talent to help you grow your business. And, and actually I got the feed. We, we were awarded the project very quickly. It was, it was actually a three bid job. And the guy was just like, dude, you were the only one that actually talked about helping me grow my company. And, you know, and, and again, you know, it was probably a, a pretty significant size project. Right. And, and a pretty significant commission too. But like, I didn't go to it trying to go like, man, you're never going to believe the fit and finish on this, you know, box box file. And boy, the, the people can sit in this chair for 27 hours a day, never get tired. You know, people want to know the outcome, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Well, I, I think that there's a, a trend now, especially with sales consultants and um, some of the sort of sales and marketing zeitgeist that's a little off because they, they're talking about like our sales process, like our sales process. Like for instance, I was looking at <clears throat> reporting software. So I called a company and I'm like, Hey, I want to talk to a salesperson. 
And they're like, well, did you fill out our form online first? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm 63. I'm not good at filling out forms. Uh, I just want to talk to a sales rep because I can't pass you to a sales rep unless you fill out the form online. And I'm like, and this software starts at like 25, 50,000 bucks. And I'm like, I've, I'm not going to fill out the form because, well, I can't put you through to a sales rep. I'm like, you're really going to turn me away because I, there's nothing I can do. Oh, no. So I think too yeah. often companies are getting into like their sale, your sales process process is irrelevant. And especially with the bigger deals, they're going to go with whoever <clears throat> addresses their issues um, and teases that out. And I always say like, especially I think in the beginning with prospecting, the more you listen, the more you get them talking, the more likely it is you're going to get the deal. And we call it loading the gun, right? You got a revolver. You let them put the bullets in. They're like, well, we have this, but we're really concerned about that. Boom, there's a bullet, right? We're going to- Oh, Larry, you know, no, I, I did that. <clears throat> Larry, that's the trick. I mean, you know, you and I both know, like the dream on a presentation is that you've got the 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 CEO, the CFO, the uh, the uh, director of HR, the director of facilities, that you can literally have this panel. And I remember going in, I was doing a project, I was with one of the large um, furniture lines and it was a nice size project and they were all there. And I basically said, hey guys, before we get started, could you just tell me what's important to you specifically about this upcoming move? And and I really cared. Like I wanted, I mean, the HR person was like, yeah, we want to have great collaboration spaces and we want our people to talk more. We want accounting to talk to sales and we want marketing to talk to sales, you know, like, and I wasn't really thinking about, you know, yeah. oh my gosh, this is how I'm going to lock down the deal. I was really trying they to, understand, like, I'm such a dork that I really wanted to know this company and how, and the, and the CEO was like, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, the, you know, where we are in two years from now and three years from now. And the CFO is like, I just want to make sure this stuff doesn't cost us a bunch to maintain. And the facilities guy was like, you know where I'm going with this, right? So yeah. once you know that, oh my gosh, that life gets so much better for everyone. You can, you can, you can then help them get the outcome that they want. Yeah. And the sales terminology for that is like, you don't want to show up and throw up and just like talk, talk, talk. But the more, the more they talk, they will literally tell you how to sell them, how to sell them. And I remember I was doing a, I was doing a uh, walking through for a residential um, move and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, they're going through the house and they had this grandfather clock. It wasn't that valuable, but it was, you know, it was a grandfather clock, right? Not too big, not too complicated. And he said to me, what, what are you going to do with the grandfather clock? I said, well, Mr. Jones, here's what we're going to do. We're going to measure this out. We're going to build a special crate for the box. For the for this, we're going to line it. You know, we're going to make sure that it's padded. We're going to take apart the you know the you know the mechanical, the weights, and all of that stuff. And I went through this like five minute explanation because I cared because I could tell he cared about it. I wasn't thinking sales, and I'm just because normally you know for a grandfather clock, sometimes you just you know you wrap it in a, in pads, which is you know safe way to do it. You control the movement. And, uh, but I knew that this guy, it was more money to do the crate, but he, he specifically wanted it. And I, we got the job at a higher price. He says, you were the most expensive. I'm like, why'd you go with me? Cause you're the only one that said he was going to build a crate for the clock. 
you just listen and have empathy, right? Like yeah. if that's what they don't care. If you, if you talk price, they'll care about price. If you, if you figure out what their needs are and, 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 and address those specific needs, people don't care. They just want, you know, they want the job done right. But if, if you charge extra for something they don't care about because you think it's important, you're going to lose that. You're going to lose the deal, but it's always, for me, the objective was how do you do all of this? Because I'll tell you this from the very first contact that you have with that customer, even before you get the appointment, while you're prospecting, there are things that you can do in terms of those first conversations and interactions that will increase or decrease the probability that you close the customer. There are things that you can do in the beginning of that prospecting process that will either guarantee that you, if you win the job, you're gonna be get it at the lowest possible price, or you will get the job and you will be, you will get the job at the highest price. And it's it's a matter of making it a process. And I think I told you this, what, what we used to do in the moving business, our objective was to get in early and become a consultant. Because if I consulted, consultants get paid more than bidders. If you wait until they're going to the yellow pages and getting everyone out, come out to a bidder's meeting, it's just going to be low price. Typically, they would say, we're not quite ready. Call me back in three months. And this is what we would say every single time. It was the simplest thing. We said, that's great. Happy to do that, Marcy. I will follow up in three months, as you asked. I just want to know if you figured out the 10 problems with the move. And she would say, well, what do you mean 10 problems? On every move, there are 10 problems. And she'd be like, well, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. There was a law firm that was going to move. Friday, of course, Friday, they were getting their building permit. Everybody waits till the last minute. The fire marshal pokes his head into the plenum. He sees that the phone company ran PVC cable instead of, you know, um, Teflon cable, the PVC, um, the plenum cable fire code violation. He said, no one's moving into this office until all of these wires are redone. Everything had to be moved into storage. They lost two weeks of productivity. And that supervisor, you know, the project manager got fired. She said, how soon can you be out here? And then we would go out and we would find, we would figure out what those problems, because we had the luxury. We're not trying to put a bid in. I'm trying to figure out what the legitimate problems are going to be. And Every time my sales reps were in that zip code, they would stop by and, and see Marcy and say, hey, we fixed this. Typically on the third visit, and these visits are like maybe five or 10 minutes. This is what would happen uh, so many times. It's ridiculous. Here's what they would say. Larry, thank you so much. I really appreciate you putting all this effort in. And I would say, and I would train my sales reps to say, Marcy, that's great. I just need an upfront agreement from you. I've already figured out three problems. There's probably seven more. I realized at some point you're going to have to get bids and they would go typically, don't worry, don't worry. You know, we won't, I'm like, you're a big company, probably going to have to get bids. All I want is I'm going to continue to do this and figure out what these problems. I just need an upfront agreement from you that when you get the bids, if I'm not the highest price, please let me know. And I will graciously walk away from the deal because I underbid the job. And at that point, most of the time they would say, don't worry, the job is yours. Now, I know that's happened to you. I've talked to 
hundreds and hundreds of sales reps. And they've all said, yeah, that happened to me once or twice. But if you put a process in place that forces that to happen more often, but you're not forcing it to happen more often, you're putting yourself in a position where you're consulting. You're not a mover. You're a consultant. And I love it. It was it. ridiculous how many times like it magnified the number of deals that we would get where we were literally guaranteed that we were going to get the job at the highest price because you earned it. it. Larry, Larry, we got to save some for the next podcast because I'll tell you what, this subject, this masterclass on prospecting, I think based on, you know, your decades and decades of experience and billions of, of transactions being a part of uh, has been amazing. And really, I just want to thank you. Real quick on this one, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, is the best way to grab you is kind of connect with you on LinkedIn or what do you think, Larry? Yeah, LinkedIn would be perfect. Okay, Larry Dillon, D-I-L-L-O-N. And that's what he's uh, on as uh, LinkedIn. I'll put, I'll put your link in the show notes. If anybody's yep. listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever they're listening to this right now, you can see it in the show notes and reach out to Larry if you ever want to learn more or get a little bit more uh, in-depth on what's going on uh, up there at Wendover. Larry, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. This has been great. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Office Marketing Podcast. Be sure to join the conversation on our YouTube channel, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.